Hello and welcome. I'm Chris Neeland, host of Cult Brand Secrets. This podcast is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts and The Gathering. The Gathering is a Forbes top-rated business summit, and it's a masterclass for brand leaders hoping to reap the benefits of having hyper-engaged customers, prospects, and staff. In every episode, I present one of industry's biggest disruptors, a brand leader who is earning cult-like status by thinking and behaving differently than his or her mediocre peers. These brand leaders will share examples of how their companies, such as Marvel, M&Ms, Beats by Dre, Yeti, or the Dallas Cowboys, are spending their time and their resources creating advocates by enhancing their customer and their employee experiences in ways that make interacting with them irresistible. So check out all our episodes to gain access to the most impressive business leaders sharing their most important advice. I really enjoyed meeting Lyndon from Herschel Supply Company. As you're soon going to hear, he is just a really great guy with a really great energy. Uh, And I have a particular soft spot in my heart for him because he was raised in Calgary, where I spent the past 11 years. Uh, He and his brother then left and they built this business empire in Vancouver. And I, I consider Herschel one of Canada's great exports. Similar to like Lululemon or Aritzia, they are showing the world what great branding looks like. And I believe they're doing it from one of the best countries in the world to live in. You know, Herschel Supply Company has primarily been a manufacturer and a wholesaler, selling their bags through other retail outlets in over 40 countries. But in 2018, they opened their first store in Vancouver And now they're also this formidable retailer. They have locations in Hong Kong and Dubai and Paris. And Slate Magazine had this great line where they described Herschel as this, quote, a global phenomenon glimpsed wherever hipsters dare to tread, end quote. Lyndon was in great spirits the entire time that he was with us in Banff. And his joy is really obvious during his presentation. He's just so casual and candid, and I wish more brand leaders were as comfortable in their own skin. He has all the humility that I've come to expect from Canadian business leaders, but he also has this great sense of humor and a willingness to be very vulnerable. I appreciate how he revisits for us Herschel's origin story, because it, first of all, wasn't that long ago. I mean, the company only started in 2009, But his tale really illustrates just how gritty and unsophisticated starting a business really is. It's certainly not glamorous. I don't believe that Lyndon gives himself enough credit during his presentation for his unique talents and his work ethic. But I also think that Herschel's success really kind of shows the importance of luck and timing and the impact of some big bets paying off. Really more than anything else, I think that Lyndon's remarks should give every aspiring entrepreneur hope. While he and his brother, you know, they certainly had some relevant experience, what they mostly had was this dream and an unwavering ability to overcome obstacles and overcome the lack of information to eventually create this massive success story in really just under a decade. So theirs is a story of hope and stick to itness, and is this reminder that the most successful people aren't born. 
They are made through daily decisions and courage and determination. Let's listen to Lennon's story and then we can compare our notes afterwards. Looking at uh, these slides, these are actually from a few years ago of this luggage bouncing in and around everywhere. And it sort of reminds me when I dug, dug up these old assets of just how special travel is, how special moving around the world is and, and dusting these old luggages off, getting them out from under the bed or in the garage or wherever you store it is, is really, really special. Um, I got to go on a few trips recently, but I was contained to my home like most of us in this room. And it was sort of when something gets taken away from you, you truly you truly miss it. And travel for me is my sport, it's my drug, it's everything. When you're traveling, you take out your phone more, you take more pictures, you try new things, you try new food, you meet new people, you go into new spaces. All of this thing just got stripped away from us. So we're very, very happy it's back. My name's Lyndon Cormack. I live in Vancouver, British Columbia. More interestingly though, um, I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Um, <laughs> Well, if I, knew, if I knew I had to do things about Calgary or the Calgary Flames or anything, uh, that would have been great. Disappointing shootout loss last night to the Nashville Predators, but we'll get them in the first round of the playoffs, I'm sure. I, uh, I lived in Calgary, but I dreamed of the mountains. Uh, I spent thousands of days at Lake Louise and Banff and occasionally went over to Fernie, BC as well. And I just fell in love with these mountains and all the things we can do in them. So snowboarding is something I'm extremely passionate about. I grew up learning how to snowboard in these mountains and I do it all of the time. For any of you who know me personally, you know that I do it literally all the time. Today we're going to talk about yesterday, today and tomorrow. Ryan spoke earlier about the 10-year anniversary upcoming for the gathering, and he asked me earlier, like, what's it like? Do you reflect back on the past? And I'm like, we are so busy going forward. It's hard to take that time to just, you know, as I say, look in that rearview mirror and just think about all the past and all the things we've gone through and all the hurdles, obstacles, barriers we've ran into. And, but today, I'm going to take the opportunity a little bit to dig into the past and tell you a little bit how we started and what how Herschel started and how it all came to be. We're doing a whole bunch of interesting things today, including this conference. And then ultimately, let's talk about what we're going to be doing tomorrow as a brand. There was a Harvard Business Review study that stated that 50% of your day was spent daydreaming. And I was actually like blown away when I read this. Uh, and I was like, how can people only daydream for 50% of their day? I clearly daydream for 85, at least percent of mine. And I stay focused for about 15% of the rest of the time, which I think is a pretty good healthy balance. The, the reality is daydreaming is really special. You think about what you might be doing your next vacation. You think about maybe what you're doing after work, or you also think about ideas and ideas start and so many of my conversations. One of my favorite starting sent to a sentence is, wouldn't it be cool? And whenever I'm ready to start a sentence, it's, wouldn't it be cool if I could do this? Or wouldn't it be cool if this could do that? It's just the ideas. And I spend a lot of time sharing those ideas with people, friends, or anybody who will listen. And it's just a constant idea of brainstorming, daydreaming, and thinking about what could be. My brother, who I started the business with, my, he was certainly my best friend, 
He also happens to be my brother and business partner. But we always used to share ideas back and forth. And it wouldn't be cool if we could do this. Or have you ever thought of this? Or why don't we start potentially a bag company? So we had this idea. Like, let's start a bag company. I always say when I'm sitting down on an airplane, getting comfortable in my seat, is a little weird dynamic occasionally if you're figuring out if the person wants to talk to you or not want to talk to you, sort of looking out, you sort of look over a little bit. And I'm kind of a talker. So I, I, you know, how you doing? Everything okay today? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. And then, you know, you get on. If they want to talk to you, sometimes they put their headphones on, which is a clear no. And, um, and so sometimes they ask you what you do and you're like, hey, I sort of have this bag company. You might have seen it. Um, you know, we're kind of famous for like a two-strap bag and, you know, maybe you've seen this little white woven label we have. For those of you who know Herschel, that's quite iconic in our, in our line. And um, the next question why bags? Well, here's the story. I, um, I was working for Vans Footwear and, and doing their business in British Columbia, Canada. I'd worked for Vans for about a decade, an unbelievable experience at an unbelievable brand. And uh, it was sort of going to that, what's next in my journey? What am I going to be doing next? And I, I made the commitment that we were like, I'm going to do something that's in control of my own destiny. I'm going to try to create something that allows me to control what I can do. And, and it wasn't like uh, I didn't have lots of opportunities of fans, but I, I had a territory that was British Columbia. And I said, fuck no, I want a territory of the world. I want to be able to sell everywhere and share these ideas and take inspiration and not just be holed up in deep cove, British Columbia, Canada, and sell vulcanized footwear, which were amazing, but it had to grow. My brother and I were, were, again, always just chatting back and forth about what could we do, what could, you know, what could we make. By the way, you'll find out pretty quickly, we really didn't know how to make anything, but we could come creative with ideas. So we really looked at the bag business and we saw that the luxury business, which we loved, the Hermes, the Louis Vuittons, the Pradas, are really amazing brands, unbelievable product. We looked at the outdoor industry and we said, God, they're amazing too. We have all these brands like the North Face, Patagonia, Arcteryx, amazing brands. And we were like, well, these guys, they, they already got it. They already got everything figured out. And then there's this giant space in the middle that's full of commodity, this boring, no stories, just regular old product. And it's not like these commodity products are bad quality. They're just not what we get out of bed for. And so we said, why don't we take the spirit of what we like? Oftentimes we call ourselves a footwear company that doesn't make shoes. So take the spirit of footwear, what Nike and Adidas and Clarks and Vans and Commerce and all those awesome brands do, and how do we maybe bring that into the bag world? So we decided to start a brand called Herschel Supply. One big problem. We had no idea how to manufacture bags whatsoever, but we had lots of connections. So I worked at Vans, zoned up by an amazing company called Vanity Fair Corporation. They actually happen to own some bag companies. One, they own the North Face. They own a brand called Supreme. They own a bag company called Jansport. They had Eagle Creek at the time. They own a bag company called Eastpac. So I reached out to some of my connections at Vans, and I said, hey, I don't want any, like, you to get in trouble by giving this information, but is, you know, do you have any contacts for factories that we could hit up? I'd sort of show in my little lookbook of what we were trying to do to a couple of my product managers, and they're like, we've got you. We won't give you our manufacturers, but we know some amazing people who could really help you get this off the ground. So I'm like, well, that was easy. So what do we have? We have a brand, 
we've got all these ideas. We got these two brothers that like, like to share ideas and daydream all the time. We've got this look, we've got this feel, we've got a bit of experience in relation to Jamie had been working for K2 Sports for about a decade as well. So we had, you know, relative industry experience. And then we were like, now we've got the factory contacts. So we were told from some people to not overshare. So when you first were promote getting to the factory, you're like, don't give them all the ideas, just give them a light sort of sampling of what you're trying to do. So we had a mood board, we had you know, reference images. We had these little sketches of sort of the bags we wanted to do. And, and we carefully crafted this email and sent it off. And, you know, we woke up the next morning, checked our email, and there was no response back from the factory. But, you know, we, we were pretty patient. So we waited another day and sort of the same routine happened. And we went to our emails and, and uh, checked them and there was nothing there. And um, so we figured it might've been one of those holidays that we didn't know a lot about like Golden Week or Chinese New Year or one of those things. So we Googled around a little bit about that, but it wasn't. So we waited for like a week and then I, I put one of these emails and it said, hey, I just want to bump this to the top of your inbox. I don't know if any of you are on a thing called LinkedIn, but I happen to be getting a few of these messages every minute of my life bumping the top of my inbox now. But anyways, um, the lo and behold is nobody ever got back to us. So these awesome connections were duds. Um, so we went to, we turned to Google um, and we typed, how do we manufacture backpacks? How to buy a backpack factory? Where to manufacture backpacks? Who manufactures backpacks? Equipment required to making backpacks. And, and we weren't landing in all of the places that we wanted to. So we, we started actually getting a little more strategic, which is good to do. And, um, we were like, well, we have two factory names. So why don't we start Googling those? And maybe they're part of like a group of factories or maybe they go to trade shows or maybe they have a thing for backpack things called The Gathering in some place on the other side of the world. I don't know. So all of a sudden we had these two amazing names. We Google them and lo and behold, we found some websites. We have no idea what the associations were or what trade shows were or what raw material suppliers. We had knew nothing about this rest of these emails, but we just emailed them all. And, um, Lo and behold, uh, we started getting some responses. Uh, one response I rem remember, it was from XE. Most of the names don't have the word backpack or bag in it. So these company names, like they don't sort of tell you what they make. So it was like, but this one did. It was called XY Bag and Stuff Toy Manufacturer. And I was like, this is my fucking dream come true. Finally, finally, I have the ability not only to have an awesome factory, we know nothing about them, to make bags. Um, but we also, and I turned to Jamie, I was like, dude, brace yourself. And he's like, what? And I'm like, if I start a sentence with brace yourself and your answer is what? It's, that's just not, it's not, you know, that's not the dynamic I was really going for. What? Um, so I, I said, we can make plush toys as well with these people. And um, he said, for fuck's sakes, dude, can you just stay focused? Some of the people ask, how's your relationship with your brother? Mine's great with him. But if he was up here, he'd be like, my brother is a freaking disaster. That's me. So we didn't work with XY backpack and stuffed toy manufacturer. I still think that if anybody in the room wants to ideate about a stuffed toy uh, company later, I'm happy to. I've got a bunch of ideas. They're not all good, but they're ideas. Um, we, we met this gentleman who sent us an email and he said, my wife is learning English in Vancouver and I own a backpack factory and I'd love to meet you. And um, we were like, 
Someone actually wants to come to Vancouver and meet us? Now, they really only wanted to write off their trip. We knew that, but that's fine, right? So we met at the Fairmont Waterfront Hotel for breakfast with this gentleman named Michael. Um, we sat down for breakfast. I had ordered pancakes. Um, I'm not typically a pancake guy. I normally am like bacon and eggs um, sort of person. And I, I also discovered something really interesting. My brother ordered porridge. Um, and I was like, who orders porridge? And I've told people about this porridge situation a few times, but it's actually true. A lot of people really love porridge. I don't really like pancakes. Um, I just want to clear the air on that. But, and if it comes up in Q&A later, I definitely, bacon and eggs over easy, you know, a little bit crispy bacon. But um, this guy saw what we did. He brought a couple samples of products he made. We, um, we said, well, we're set. We've got our factory. Let's go. Uh, so we gave him all of our little designs, which were pretty, pretty crude, uh, you know, little files now that I, when I look back on them, I'm seeing them, and I sort of show them to my brother who made them. I'm like, dude, do you remember these? And they're like embarrassing. Like the tech files are absolutely horrific. But anyways, that's, you know, that's, that was just the beginning. We didn't know what we were doing. So uh, we gave him these tech packs. Uh, and about three weeks later, we got the FedEx uh, tracking number that our first samples were coming back to us. And this is like crazy. Like this is like, you've been dreaming up this little idea for this company that doesn't exist and nobody really cares what Herschel supply is. And then you have a tracking number that your, your actual first samples are coming. And it's just like, oh, it's just like goosebump time. You know, I'm getting a even talking about it. And um, we met, I, my brother uh, lived in Calgary still at the time. We, um, we, we, I was, my parents, well, maybe this will get a cheer. I don't know, but we, we have a cabin in Windermere, BC that my parents have. So I was at my cabin, my parents' cabin in Windermere and, um, my brother got the box and we made a promise to ourselves that we'd always be together whenever we were going to see the, our first samples. And we drove to the outskirts of Calgary. For those of you who have ever been hung over before, you might know there's a McDonald's there uh, right on the outside. I think there's an A&W close to a subway around the corner, being there. Um, so we met in the McDonald's parking lot. We didn't eat there. It's not a food. This whole thing's not about food. Um, we were, it's kind of mafioso style. So, you know, we drove into the parking lot, two cars. I was in one, he was in the other. Back of the car opened, box down, box cutter, opened up. And we were witnessing the first ever Herschel products. We pulled them out and they were absolutely terrible. Uh, they were the worst, ugliest bags ever. They were good quality. The sewing was good. Everything about them was decent in that aspect, but they just weren't what we were after. They're not our vision. They weren't what we were trying to create. And, and so later that day, Jamie drove over to the Chinese consulate in, in Calgary, applied for his Chinese work visa, sorry, uh, visiting visa. And uh, two weeks later, he, he was off to a lovely city called Nanjing in China. He met Michael at the airport. Michael mentioned to him as soon as he got there that he had to leave on a business trip, but he showed him where the office was. Jamie uh, worked in that sample room as the only English-speaking person, for good reason, because he was in China. And he crafted all day, and, and into the night he'd be on Skype with me and literally crafted our first line. Like, everything was perfect. The last day Michael came back, good timing, and uh, he was sitting with Jamie with all the staff from the sample room around him and, and people were laughing and the bags were all lined up. And Jamie's like, 
why are they laughing? And they're like, well, the, he says they kind of all look old. And he was like, box them up. That's exactly what we wanted. We wanted to have this like classic look with this modern twist. We wanted to like celebrate this nostalgic aspect of, of the old, but bring it into the new world. And for, you know, we weren't blessed with parents who started a bag company. They, they didn't do that. So we, um, we had to do it ourselves and we created that ourselves. Back in 1906, my great-grandparents were living in Wick, Scotland. Um, they were enticed by the homestead program to bring themselves uh, across the Atlantic to Canada. Uh, they landed in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and trekked across the country and staked their claim for 160 acres of land just outside of a little hamlet called Herschel. Uh, our grandparents were born into this town. Our grandmother was the school teacher. She taught K to 12. Our grandfather managed the grain elevator. Uh, my dad was born into this town. Uh, my mom, his high school sweetheart, was from the town 20 kilometers to the east or west or somewhere in Saskatchewan. It's flat, so it's hard to always judge distances without mountains on one side. And, um, and we grew up in Calgary, but we loved getting on our family station wagon, driving six hours to Herschel and having times with our grandparents and other family members who'd come out. We, uh, we grew up in a city, so we had borders and boundaries and curfews. But when you got to Herschel, it was like all those things went away. All those things went away, and you sort of had this vast land that you could just roam around and check out new things. And my, my grandfather loved auction sales, and he'd only buy stuff that didn't work. So we'd out, be out there fixing it and sold dirt bikes and snowmobiles. And, and it was just that kind of place where we just got to do stuff. And, and it feels like it's, you know, when people see it on a map, you're like, oh, it's in the middle of nowhere. But in my opinion, it's in the middle of everywhere. It's just this awesome space that we could just be kids. And, and uh, I remember a story about those sort of borders and curfews and boundaries. And my, uh, my dad and mom were off to the neighboring farm. And, and he, uh, he said, hey, once you're done fixing up that bike, do you want to come over to the Stevens just around the corner? And I said, yeah, no problem. And he threw me the keys to the car and I caught him. I'm like, dad, I'm 13 years old. I'm not allowed to drive. And I was like, well, that's how I learned. So it was that kind of place. Uh, so that's why the brand's called Herschel Supply Company. We didn't want to be only sell to Herschel. We didn't want to be a brand only from Canada. And so our first trade show we ever did was in New York City. We showed up. Uh, it's a lovely day in New York. It was in Chelsea at the Chelsea Art Museum. There was two trade shows side by side. One was a bit more of an action sports, streetwear style trade show called Agenda. The other one was a trade show called Capsule, a bit more contemporary fashion. And they were glued together, so you sort of got to pull up both crowds. Our, our space they gave us was on the third floor. I think the real estate got cheaper as you went up, but that's fine. That's all we got. When you're trying to convince a trade show to show up and you're not even a brand, you know, you got to be like, this is sort of what we do, and here's our catalog. And you sort of do this song and dance, and they maybe believe you or maybe don't. We, uh, we rolled into our booth, which is about the size of this carpet, maybe a little bit bigger, giving it a little bit of credit. Uh, the booth, the company had set up the separation of the booths all with pallets. So it was kind of had this raw New York style, had these beautiful herringbone old oak floors and it really fit our vibe. There was an apparel rack sitting in the, in the uh, booth. So I sort of wheeled it over to the show organizers, mentioned that we're a bag brand, not an apparel brand. And then they were like, well, that's all we've got. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work super well. Um, they suggested maybe we just get some hangers and hang our bags on the apparel rack. I'm like, oh man, let's not do that. So anyways, um, 
we looked in the corner and there was all these pallets packed, stacked up, all super high. And so uh, we asked the show organizer if we could take some of those pallets and use them for our booth. And they said, those are the extras, have at them. So we went to Home Depot in New York. There is Home Depot in New York, just in case you guys are ever wondering or need it. And we went and bought saws and, and hammers and nails. Jamie's way handier than me, by the way, um, which is good because I didn't have to do all the work there. We, um, we were the first people at the trade show and the last people to leave for setup day because we built an entire trade show booth out of pallets. And we were really, really stoked. Uh, when we left, we were just, we were like, this is it. You know, like, it's like, it's just, it looks great. And this was our first time ever that we were about to show people our brand. I mean, you don't know, I mean, for the, I know there's founders in this room and people have started stuff, but it's a lot. Like, this is an emotional roller coaster. You're, you're, you're like, is it right? Is it wrong? Are people going to hate it? Are they going to love it? And so anyways, the next day we showed up and the trade show opened and, and it was a wild success. And it was just so, so awesome. We got to meet so many awesome buyers, buyers from Nordstrom. Uh, we always thought they'd be great. Urban Outfitters was there. A bunch of the uh, sneaker boutiques, which we loved and followed around, were there. We got to meet some editors for GQ magazine. And shortly after that trade show, we ended up on the front cover of their gift guide for a brand that didn't exist a few minutes before. And we were just like, super, super stoked. Every business starts with a problem. And ours was very simple, that bags were boring. And I still think they're kind of boring today. And uh, our job right now, with especially our bag products, is to continue to make them as unboring as possible and continue to smash down those commodity brands who just put utility products out there but without a heartbeat. Because products with heartbeats, especially at price points that, in my opinion, most people can afford, Herschel, is, is something that we can really do. But quickly, we turned from bag manufacturers to shipping tycoons, and we managed to fill one of those 40-foot containers completely with bags. So we went from being bag people to figuring out the shipping business. And so we, it's pretty amazing. I don't, know, I don't know how long this stage is, but when you think of those 40-foot containers, those C cans, and you stack them full of bags. Bags, aren't, they're big, but they're not that big. It's like a full-on deal. And we managed to cram about 8,000 units in that container. And, um, and we were pretty happy, you know, 8,000 units, zero to 8,000. It was pretty, it was pretty exciting. In year five, we were selling in about 37 different countries and we had about thousand containers on the water. And, um, we were founded in 2010 and we sold about 50 million units, uh, since then. So pretty, uh, pretty cool story. Today. So uh, we have about 50,000 square feet of office space in downtown Vancouver in the area called Gastown, which is a heritage area. We love the old meets new, the beautiful bocce lighting fixture mixed with, you know, big, huge, huge Douglas fir beams and concrete floors, sort of like our bags. On the right-hand side is our prototype facility. I think Jamie built that for himself, so he never had to go back to <laughs> the other one he went to 12 years or 11 years ago today. But we do all of our original prototypes now in-house, and then we send off just the files over for, for uh, production. So it's pretty cool that we get to do everything in-house. As we continue to look at the brand, we remind ourselves about this all the time, that we are storytellers and we are brand builders. The one coolest thing about being a brand like Herschel or being a product like Herschel is you get to accompany people on their journeys all the time. You get to create memories with people. You get to go on trips with people. You get to be taken to all these amazing places. You get to be going on first days of school, first day of work, 
all of these special things. And, and I don't know about you, but I think bags are special because you sort of, they hold memories. You remember the bag you, you went to high school with, or, you know, you might have reminisced about the bag you went, maybe you traveled around Europe with it, with it or something. And the bags are special, and I think they hold memories. And I hope that our, our, our creatives who carry our product all around the world really help build our story and help tell their story, and, and we can be a small part of that. We aim to be the tr most trusted companion for creatives. We believe everybody is creative. We hear it all the time. Oh, well, no, I'm not creative. Or if we're having a, a big event for Herschel and, and our finance team there, our operations team, I'm like, leave it to the designers. I'm not creative. Everybody is creative. Everybody has the opportunity to be a creative. And, and we want to celebrate this creativity and celebrate and try to pull it out of people to say, just try something new. Hang a picture, decorate a wall, draw a picture post a TikTok. All of those things are creative. And, and we know everybody has creativity in them. And sometimes we got to dig it out. And as a brand and as a badge, we want to be that trusted companion. We want to travel with creatives, which is everybody, and bring that creative spirit out. I said earlier, when you go on trips, you take more photos. Isn't that awesome? You get your phone out and you take photos of everything to try to document it. You're like, if you're in a part of the world where maybe the, the food is different, you're going to try it. It's, that's so amazing. And, and so if we can just continue to pull that creativity, like, let's try something new and, and really, really harness that spirit. This one just sneaks in there all the time because it makes me feel good about myself. But a backpack from Herschel Supply Company is practically mandatory. Thank you, Vogue. Um, we're, uh, as a brand, we're in it together. We're going to do our best work when everybody feels that they can be involved. And a lot of this is an internal voice, right? Like, how do we help people at Herschel feel involved? But we're going to do the best work if our entire organization feels empowered and, and feels like they can contribute to all things we're doing. And uh, we're big believers in collaboration. Our favorite collaborations, I get asked that quite a bit, is with our team. Like people say, what's your dream collaboration? I don't know, so maybe new team members, you know? So we can create ideas together. And that's, that's really powerful to me. So harnessing this energy of being in, in it together and making sure people are empowered to do their best work. We act with intent. We leave a footprint. We all do. And the choices we make have impact on people and the planet. And we need to make sure that the, the actions that we take are with the right intention. Uh, I can't spill the beans on all of this, but during the pandemic, we worked really hard on a few things. But one thing that we worked the most hard on was how we're going to leave the earth. And uh, going into 2023, I think you'll see a vast improvement of how Herschel interacts with textiles, eco-friendly materials, and people who make our product all around the world. And, it takes, it takes a long time to move the ship. It used to be easy to just to switch something, switch fabric, switch this, switch that, but it's a lot harder now. And, uh, but the pandemic was a gift for us because we took this time to say, if we could redo this, we finally have a little bit of a pause. What do we want to do with it? And uh, we did some amazing work. We love design and we want to design every moment. We want to make sure whether it's a retail store or a spreadsheet, whether it's a product, or our financial reports, whether it's a marketing campaign or how we show up in the world. We want to make sure all those moments are considered and designed because it's so fun. When you get to figure out what every nook and cranny can be about, it's really, really powerful. So we want to have that spirit of designing every single touch point we can. 
We want to be future forward. I said earlier, I don't reflect a lot because I love the windshield. I love looking forward and figuring out where we're going to go. And I spend a little time maybe looking up the rearview mirror to see what we passed, if I, especially if I like the view. My favorite des destination, it's my favorite definition in the world, and I wish I had my friend Inkyu up here, who I've no idea, he has no idea who I am, and I've never met him, but we're friends now, was my favorite definition in the world is the definition of future. This is where I really need him, because it's poetic. And the definition of future is everything that is yet to come, period, full stop. And I'm like, it's just so beautiful that the word future just means everything that is yet to come. And I mean, so like tomorrow, I can do whatever I want to because it's yet to happen and we can figure that thing out. So I think this embracing this idea that the future can be anything that we want to make it is amazing. And I love the future. I can't wait to get there and I can't wait to be, bring new ideas to life in it. We're big believers in momentum. Momentum can work both ways. A bunch of us in the room weren't benefactors of a pandemic. And we had this pause. And, you know, I was at literally, my heels were sort of, you know, jammed into this concrete going like, what do we, what do we do next? I had more conversations about fucking liquidity than I ever thought in my life. I'm like, you know, this is just sucks. But the, the reality is we quickly got from here because we are stuck in here. And we're like, well, this is what it's going to be like. And so we might as well figure this out because you can't really bounce very well. And then we got back on our toes and said, what can we do to change? What can we do to, to use this time to create that internal momentum that we're going to be better for it in the end? And that's what we did. We, we believe in showing up properly. It doesn't matter what it looks like when the curtains are closed. It doesn't matter what kind of shit show it is behind the curtains. I guarantee the gathering as well as how perfectly it's put together. It's a shit show the day before, including people stuck in Regina, Saskatchewan, and planes turning around and going back to Seattle and moving schedules and figuring this and figuring that out. But it's okay if it's a shit show. But when the curtains open, everything has to be perfect and everything has to show up properly. This is our new store we opened a couple months ago on Robson Street in Vancouver. I've always said we need to be easy to do business with. If we're at Maine and Maine in any small town, there's two, two hardware stores, one's here and one's there, and one place is fucking awesome and the other place fucking sucks, I go to the fucking awesome place because they're easy to do business with all the time. And I think that's really important. So how do we as a business remain easy to do business with? Because being easy to do business with is incredibly hard. We don't want to be yes people. We can't say yes to everything, but we can be helpful. We can, be, we can be open to change, and we can try our best to solve problems with the end consumer or with our customers or whoever they happen to be. More importantly, we need to give back. We partnered a num for a number of years with the Canadian Humanitarian Foundation, and this photo came from uh, some schools they were opening in Ethiopia. And we said, well, we're going to give every single one of those kids that any one of these new schools that's going to this new school, a bag, so they can show up somewhat like we show up. And the amount of passion these kids have for just the ability to be taught, the ability to learn, is, is the most amount of passion you could ever see. We hope that when we reflect back on this photo in a number of years, maybe one of these kids that we touched this percent of their life, you know, it's just giving a bag away. We realize it's not monumental, but it's a something. But we hope these kids maybe are the next Elons or maybe they start another bag company themselves or, or maybe they come up with the next great idea that we're all celebrating on this stage. So let's hope that will be, 
let's hope that's the case. We, um, we put ourselves out there as a, as a brand, as in, in, individuals. We, we put ourselves out there. And my, my request to you is try to find a way for you to put yourself out there in the world. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be that thing that gives you butterflies and you're a little nervous. And whether it's like asking a girl out on a date or, you know, trying to switch your side hustle to your main hustle, you know? But put yourself out there in the world and meet somebody new, do something you haven't done before. Get out of your comfort zone. Give yourself butterflies because it's a really, really special moment when you get the, the butterflies don't last forever. They go away once you've done it. Have some fun. I'm in this industry because it's fun. I've got into every industry that I've ever been in because I've had a lot of fun doing it. And I think it's important to remember as much as we have serious businesses we run, this is really, really important. I have two teenage daughters still standing on the stage, still doing all right. They're actually awesome little girls. And uh, I always have reminded them, you know, before they went and played a soccer game or they compete in snowboarding. So I said, you know, dropping them off at a snowboard competition. And I say, what's the most important thing, kids? And they're like, yeah, dad, we know. Have fucking fun. We know. Okay. Okay, dad, we know. But remind, they remind me all the time that winning is a hell of a lot more fun than losing. So I'm like, well, then you just get out there and win. That's okay. Have, but have some fun doing it. Uh, I believe this statement to be true, that the best is yet to come. And the future is going to be friendly. And it's what we make of it. And uh, I want to end by saying thank you for having me. And I look forward to hearing more of these amazing speakers. So thank you to the gathering. Thanks for all of you for spending some time with me today. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Uh, first of all, quick shout out to the Calgary Flames for us in the division. I love the Calgary Flames, by the way. This is like no joke. Like if I, I love the Calgary Flames. <laughs> like I love, like I, I love everything about the Calgary Flames. I watch every game. Uh, I, I grew up with season tickets. And I can't tell if you're pandering to the audience or if you're being honest right now. I love the Calgary Flames. Perfect. Oh, you know who I really like watching right now is Zadorov. I just think he's, and I think in playoffs, he's just going to fucking excel. He smashes people. All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay. Lyndon, like I said, we don't have a ton of time. I wanted to get into a couple of things. And I I think um, you you all have access to this session on the other side of uh, the gathering. But, you know, you have these pillars about even just having fun and showing up with intent. How, How long did it take you guys to arrive there, right? Just, it, was it part of the DNA of when you and Jamie started the company? Or is it something that you sort of, as the company evolved, those evolved? Like, take us a little bit through that, I think, as people are out here, either looking for jobs or leaving jobs or trying to hire people. Uh, we hear so much about, like, why you show up to work, right? People just give a different type of shit than they used to. Uh, and thanks for cussing during your session. So it gave me license to now also swear. I don't think I cussed much, though. 
No, but okay. you, you opened the door. You know, okay. You're okay. Um, but yeah, to talk to us about like, what, where do those things come from? Like, how, how, did you, how did you get there? How long has those... Just to remind everybody, there was two of us for a long time. Like, there was just my brother and I. So we didn't have like purpose, visions, value, workshops or anything. We, we were just trying to make products and go to factories. Um, but we had a, a few things written on the wall that were really important to us. And we tried to like reiterate, to the, uh, re- reiterate these points to ourselves. And one was uh, showing up properly. Jamie says it all the time. A, he's very passionate about it. And he, it's oftentimes not a statement, but more of a question. Did we show up properly? Uh, I love the ability of uh, being easy to do business with. And it was always written up on the wall, just like, okay, we got to be easy to do business with. And innovate was on there. So if we could remember to continue to innovate, continue to show up properly, and be easy to do business with, we think that we can continue to hire staff, bring new people on, and, and grow the business. And we really concentrated on those. We also had this sort of less is more attitude that we, you know, our bags aren't full of features and don't have 76 pockets like some products on purpose. And we just were like, you know what, we just want to have less is more. And uh, fast forwarding a little bit, uh, we, uh, we actually brought on our first ever CEO uh, about 10 months ago. His name's John Haroff. He was the president of Arcteryx for about eight years before coming to Herschel. And um, he really believes in co-creation of purpose, values, vision. So really as, a, as an organization, we came together and uh, we co-created it. And so act with intent. Um, the, the, uh, the idea of in it together, the idea of future forward, all of those things. And, and also just, you know, the word creativity and creatives kept coming up and coming up. And, and, you know, being that trusted companion for creatives is something we really did. So we, it was co-created with our team and it was high, high, you know, high level of participation across the organization. That's great. And I've, I've sat back in my chair, so I can't see the clock. So we can just keep going now. Um, just two, maybe two more questions really quickly. Um, as you, you know, you, you tell the story of, you know, shitty first samples and, trying to figure out how to even make a bag in the first place. And, you know, uh, Ryan mentioned today, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. There's a lot of intrapreneurs out there. Do you have like a piece of advice that you can, you can leave, you know, this audience with and the, the folks online around just like, what's, what's like the one either mantra you had or, or how did you guys, like when you're just struggling and have no idea what you're doing, like, what were you reminding yourselves? What were you guys trying to like dig into? Well, we just needed to get the job done, right? Like, I mean, we weren't, we weren't good at it, you know, unfortunately. I mean, we figured out, we used to this line that we'd say, and as, as we sort of got a few more staff members, we, we, they'd hear me saying it all the time and then people start, you know, saying similar things. But, the, uh, but I'd, always, I'd always be on the phone, maybe it was a logistics company or something. I'm like, listen, I'm a little green at this, so don't rip me off. Like, I don't know exactly what I'm doing here. And then I'd hear people around going, just so you're aware, I'm a little green at this. And I'm like, we're not allowed to say little green at this, little green at this anymore. We got to pretend we know what we're doing. And, you know, maybe it's faking it till you make it. I don't know. But it's, uh, but we, we wanted to do this. I mean, we, it's just, it's just an, it's just an obstacle, right? I mean, it, some obstacles are bigger than others and I get it, but it was, it's just an obstacle. We, we, we know what we wanted to do and we had to go do it. And, and, um, you know, kudos to Jamie for getting on that plane and flying over to China. Cause really, I don't know if I'd be sitting here if he didn't go on that trip, to be honest. Like it, it was, it shifted things a lot, but just got to get the job done. I, I don't know. I mean, I wish it was more poetic than that, but we just had to get the work done. Get and um, done. No, that's good. That's good advice. And just the last question as we wrap up here. I mean, you mentioned you have teenage daughters, which means in 2010, when you guys founded the company, they were 
not teenage. They were young. True. Talk to us a little bit now. I mean, the pandemic has had a bit of like a shift in how people show up to work. What are the things they prioritize? How do I mean to say that, you know, you all are on a rocket ship would be an understatement, but how did you balance, you know, trying to find time to, to give and commit to your family and to build this business and even to your family and your brother and your partner? Like what, how, how did that, how did that come about for you? How did you, how are you able to sort of navigate those things? Well, I mean, the, the, the daughter's one is very, very easy to be honest. It's a, it's probably the easiest question I could be asked because they're always first, you know, it's like hands down, they're number one. So that's really how I handled my whole life. I still do it today. It's like, they're the most important thing ever. And so you just treat them like that. And, uh, you know, work, work can be done at all times of the day, night, you know, you can get shit done whenever you need to. And, uh, but you just treat them the, like they deserve to be treated and that's perfectly. And, and, uh, they're, they're awesome. And I wouldn't change anything with that. Well, it's great. So you talked about NQ and TikTok being sort of the hard, tough acts to follow. I'll, I'll bestow on you the most stylish presenter of the day so far. <laughs> well, thank you. And uh, I, I think you're wearing actually a Herschel piece. I'm, I'm wearing a beat up old jean jacket, yeah, which we'll I love. Switch jackets before coming up here. <laughs> um, but no, thanks to uh, to Lyndon. Obviously, you'll be around for the rest of the week. So looking forward to having you here and getting in the mix with everybody. And uh, round of applause for Lyndon. Thanks very much. Thanks, everyone. I really liked how Lyndon says that he starts a lot of his sentences with, wouldn't it be cool if? You know, that's just such a great way to initiate a conversation. I wish more brand leaders that I know would dare to dream more often or consider alternatives that veer more drastically from their status quo. Just so many of us are playing better defense than offense, and yet, If we were asking ourselves more regularly, wouldn't it be cool if, then we could be sure that some young entrepreneur or some emboldened competitor that's thinking big thoughts wasn't gonna be the one to find ways to disrupt our business as usual. We would do it ourselves because change is constant. And the only question is if we are creating it and benefiting by it, or if we're simply enduring it and eventually losing to it. I also appreciated how Lyndon said that Herschel's culture is to kind of consider themselves as a footwear company that doesn't sell shoes. I can really relate to that. You know, having evaluated many cult brands like Nike or Converse, Under Armour or Vans, I can really understand the spirit and the lifestyle that lives within the shoe category. And in so many ways, that industry, I guess similar to backpacks and bags, is just highly commoditized. There is little difference between the quality and the price and the distribution. So you can either lean into price and discount and promote your way to you know, hitting your quarterly and annual goals, or you can lean heavily into design and pop culture and creating differentiation through desirability. And that is so often the domain of cult brands. They aren't always the most innovative inventors, but rather they're the best stewards of the customer experience. And they're like these understanders of what's cool, what's trending, and how to provide something that a very specific audience will consider irresistible. 
Herschel Supply Company is a great example of finding a very sliver of white space and then sprinting towards it, staking their claim there, and then working like hell to defend it. I believe that they understand their target audience very well, and they keep providing products and content that that audience wants to enjoy. Having spent a few days with Lyndon, I know that that brand is in good hands. And I wish him and his team the best of luck as they continue to grow Herschel's footprint. They have enjoyed an incredible ride and tremendous success to date, but I believe their best days are still ahead of them. Until next time. You've been listening to Cult Brand Secrets, where we share the best insights gleaned from The Gathering, an annual summit for brand leaders eager to make their companies more successful and more significant. Learn more about The Gathering at cultgathering.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us in your podcast app. Cult Brand Secrets is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Special thanks to our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, as well as our executive producers, David Moss and Bridget Coyne. I'm your host, Chris Nealon. Thanks for listening. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.